First of all, I want to say um, how grateful we are to Anne and her wonderful family. Her husband John, son John have been a huge help to us, and Brandy, who hosted a beautiful um, event yesterday afternoon. And so many of the people that we've met here, friends of Anne's, and, uh, and now you uh, and Jody, of course, has been with us, uh, our loyal our loyal uh, support here. Um, it's just, uh, and of course, uh, Mariette and Greg, who've been a constant help um, and have helped to put this, um, you know, all these wonderful TV uh, screens around around the room. Um, Americans for a Safe Israel uh, is uh, an organization that is unique in a few ways. First of all, um, we, we are totally dedicated, totally dedicated to what we call Yisrael Shlema, a whole Israel. Some of, some of the people here are learning Hebrew, and maybe you know the word Shalem, full, a whole Israel. What is a whole Israel? One that's not divided, one that's not cut up, one that's not given away, uh, a whole Jerusalem that's, that's intact. So we've supported this from the very beginning. Our organization is 40 years old or so, and this is our mandate. Uh, and you can see by the, the um, sign, I believe Greg got it up, okay, uh, that uh, we're all for applying sovereignty to the, um, the disputed areas of Israel. Uh, Judy will explain more about that as she goes through the PowerPoint. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, from, from the biblical promised land, uh, it, the map has shrunk down to the, to the um, Balfour Declaration land, to the UN, the UN resolution land, and now, of course, uh, uh, all the pressure to give away Judea and Samaria, the biblical homeland, which, we, of course, we cannot do, and we've always advocated against that. Uh, but something unique happened to me uh, yesterday, um, which was just so special for Texas. So before I turn the mic over to Judy, I have to tell you about this. John took us out uh, where Anne lives, is on a beautiful lake, uh, and... Uh, there's a whole remarkable story about the lake that had been dry, but when she and John bought the house and put up a huge flagpole and flew the Israeli flag, it started to rain for 40 days and 40 nights or something <laughs> like that, and and the lake filled up. So there's this wonderful lake. Uh, the flag is there, flying beautifully uh, in the sunshine, except on a day when it rains. It's still flying beautifully. So John took us out in the boat yesterday, and uh, I was noticing all the lovely homes and uh, other flagpoles that are around, most of them flying American flags. And the one just opposite, the one just opposite uh, uh, the Stacy home, had three flags, the American flag and the um, state of Israel, a, a state of uh, Texas flag, the Lone Star, and then a yellow flag that I didn't recognize. 
And I asked John what it was, and he said, I'm sure all of you know what it is, it's the the don't tread on me flag. And I said, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's Israel's Israel's slogan. From now on, wherever we go, I'm going to carry this flag. And every time I give a talk, I'm going to say, we, we have to learn something from the Texans because this is it. Don't tread on me. Don't step on us. Don't dictate to us. Don't tell us how we have to divide the land, how we have to give away, how we have to make concessions and all of that. We are not, Israel is not going to do that. Too much of that has been done. So the Texas strength, and of course the fact that your star is a, you're a lone star. Now I didn't examine your star that carefully. Does, is it a five-pointed star? Yes, yes. So it's sort of like the Israeli star. Okay. So we have so much in common. And um, so and when I was speaking yesterday and told the story, one of the girls said, wait here. She ran home, got her flag, and gave it to me. So I promise you, this is going to be with me in every presentation that I give. Uh, and maybe the Israelis will take care. Judy has a lot to tell you. Judy is my daughter, and I'm so proud of the fact that uh, I, I started as the executive director over 20 years ago with a wonderful chairman who unfortunately passed away just a few years ago. And uh, we continued with our work. And then I said, I have to have uh, an assistant here. I have to have somebody who, who understands everything the way I do. And uh, fortunately, and you know, those of you who work with your children, uh, you know how lucky it is and how wonderful when one of your children uh, picks up the banner and uh, walks beside you. And so Judy's done that, and here she is, Judy Kadish. Thank you. Thank you all for coming, and thank you for that lovely introduction. And I, I echo my mom's. Uh, sentiments as far as being so happy that you're all here and thanking everybody for the help that you've been and for your for your support for your you know obvious love of, of Israel and and the Jewish people and uh, I uh, hope I can uh, express to you some of what Americans for a Safe Israel is about I think the ty the, the the name of the organization really says it. Um, although sometimes we say that we are Americans for a safe Israel, for a safe America, because we seriously believe that Israel is the canary in the coal mine and that uh, it is a, a bastion of Western civilization and it's very, very vital for Israel to survive in order for the rest of Western civilization to survive. And we see that with, with what's going on in the world today. So um, uh, up on the slides, uh, we have our contact information. I want you to know we have a website. It's afc.org, very easy to get to. Um, my email address is judy at afc.org. If you email me, I will certainly get back to you. We also have a Facebook page. We also have a Facebook group. Our group is a closed group, uh, which means that you request to be part of it. And no one from the outside, once you're a part of it, can read what you've written. 
unless, of course, they get around the firewall, which we all know everyone gets around the firewalls. But basically, the average person wouldn't be able to, uh, to get into it. So uh, these are a couple of pictures that you see up here. Uh, no, I just saw a thing. Um, I don't see. So in the uh, upper left, you can see a picture of uh, this is uh, what we would call a hilltop community. Some people call it a settlement. Um, and uh, this is a synagogue that we've become very involved with and helped build. Um, and these are just various, uh, various scenes, various things that we've that that AFSI is involved with. I just want to comment about the synagogue. You know, it's it's one room. It's one room. It's it's like it takes you way back to the pioneer days. You know, these are the settlers, and of course, Hashem told us to go and settle the land, and that's what these people are doing. But they needed a synagogue, so we helped them to build this, and we're walking up the path um, uh, to the synagogue, and you can see how modest it is. But it's very important for the community because it brings in other people. So uh, Zionism, what is Zionism? Basically, it's uh, the desire of the Jewish people to live safely and securely in their native homeland. Um, the Jewish people are an indigenous people. It means that we go back thousands and thousands of years, about 3,800 years um, in this land, and we've had a continuous presence in the land for all that time. Many times exile but always with plans to return. And as Anne was saying in, in 1948, um, that, that dream was realized. Uh, here you can see, when I say live safely and securely, um, the, the scene on the left is uh, the scene of a, uh, a basketball court. And one of the communities that we've become very close with um, some of our, our more frequent travelers uh, donated most of this playground in honor of their, uh, their families uh, to this community. And so when we go there, they love to play ball with these kids. So we're, we're you know, talking about people who just want to play and live and, and, and exist. And um, that, that's something that we we recognize and we really promote. And then, of course, on the right, you can see off in the distance uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, which has come to be the symbol of Jerusalem. But, you know, for us, it is, it, it, it shows us exactly where the Temple Mount is. And later on, we'll talk a little bit about the importance of the Temple Mount to the Jewish people. So, Basically, Zionism has three legs to stand on, the biblical, the historical, and the legal. The biblical claim to the land. When God said to Abraham, here is this land that I'm giving to you and your descendants, 
the land that he that he was gesturing toward, the land that he was was uh, promising, um, went far beyond what is now considered Israel. That land uh, encompassed part of Egypt, part of Saudi Arabia, part of Iraq, part of Syria. Uh, all these countries are really recent constructs. Uh, you know, they're they're post-Ottoman Empire constructs. Uh, but the land that was originally promised is, you know, a much larger mass than what we're what we're currently fighting over. And and the question is, really, who who is the occupier here? Um, uh, looking at this map. It's probably hard for you to find Israel. You see that you see that little brownish gray uh, sort of a, a triangle right on the Mediterranean, and there's a, a white a white part that's uh, marked right in the middle of it. That's Judea and Samaria. That's our Israel today, instead of those great big borders that were promised uh, by Hashem. Uh, okay, so I think moved around a little bit, but we have a historical and legal claim to the land as well. Um, and this is this this uh, photograph shows you the the loss of land from a thousand BCE until today, um, when the Ottoman Empire was. Well, first of all, we look at a thousand BCE and we see basically the ancient Jewish kingdom. And then uh, following World War I, um, there, there had been a Balfour Declaration in 1917, and uh, the, what was allocated to be the Jewish homeland after, war, after the breakdown of the Ottoman Empire in World War I was what is present-day Israel and Jordan. Um, 1923, uh, the Hashemite king um, was very upset that he hadn't been given any of la- any any of the land in, as the as things were broken up, and really uh, demanded some. And the world recognized Jordan and cut off a huge, huge chunk of of what had been the uh, the mandate and. Uh, the, the balance of the chunk is what became Jordan. So uh, safe borders make a safe country. Uh, you know, we talk about our borders here. Uh, you know, porous borders make things a little bit dangerous. In 1948, uh, as Anne was saying, you know, Three years after coming out of the ashes, Israel declared statehood. And a day later, it was attacked by the, all the surrounding countries, the Arab League. And the, the uh, borders that were left in 1949 are really not any agreed-upon borders from treaties. They're armistice lines. This is where the armies agreed to a ceasefire. And you can see that um, it left it left Israel. Well, the the blue was left with Israel, 
the pink was given to Jordan, and the yellow, which is Gaza, you see that over there? Uh, the yellow was given to Egypt. Now, Jordan and Egypt really never did anything with this land. They just kind of let it lay fallow. Um, and uh, in 1967, again, um, they, uh, the, the Arab League decided to attack. And they were massing along little, little Israel's borders. And in a defensive strike, Israel in six days took all the land that you see in yellow. Now, uh, certainly international law says in a land that you've, you've taken in a defensive war is yours. You keep it. But Israel has, has been tread on. Um, Israel has been had, had its arm twisted. And in an effort to secure peace, they've given up land. And so uh, the, the policy of land for peace, which we do not go along with, right. we, go, we, we believe in peace for peace. I, I just want to say about this, though, that in the 67 war, um, Israel was attacked by all these countries and didn't expect to have the victories that it had. It was, it was shocked to, you know, they came into Jerusalem. They came right up to the, uh, to the wall. They were able to, to reclaim Jerusalem. They were able to reclaim Judea and Samaria. And uh, they certainly didn't expect uh, the Syrian tanks to run away up in the Golan and uh, the Sinai, they didn't expect the Egyptian tanks to disappear. So the whole thing was this incredible surprise and revelation. And they should have recognized that this was a miracle. These victories were miraculous, and so the miracles occurred because God wanted Israel to be this whole country. Unfortunately, and as a Jew, I say this, it's self-criticism. We have sort of a ghetto mentality. We have a guilt mentality that's been ingrained over so many centuries of oppression and expulsion and everything else. So it was like this, the, the line from some song that we know, um, I'm sorry we won it. We shouldn't have done it. It was a mistake. <laughs> we, you know, we're apologizing. So what did they do? They allowed, they allowed uh, uh, Judea and Samaria to stay under military control instead of making it, you know, declaring sovereignty. And eventually, you know, they gave away the Sinai, and then uh, and there was all this dispute over the Golan, but fortunately Israel stuck to its guns, and we have the Golan. If we didn't have it today, with the civil war that's going on in Syria today, there'd be a terrible uh, overspill and they'd be in, in Israel. So um, a lot of the problems that exist today are a result of the wrong decisions that were made after the 67 war. So it's very, very important that, uh, uh, you know, these... these uh, uh, apologetic positions get removed when you know when a country wants to establish its sovereignty. 
you have to say, don't tread on me. I think they also were a little bit baffled at how they were going to, to govern all this all this land because um, you know Im- immediately upon uh, taking back the Temple Mount from Jordan, um, you know there were there were cries of the Temple Mountain is is in our hands, um, Harhabayat, Biadenu, um, and then they took the keys and handed them to Jordan and said, but but you take care of it because. There, there was really, it was a shock. There was no preparation. And, uh, and yes, they should have been able to, to uh, step up, but what happened happened, and uh, we take it from there. Um, just to, to give you a little bit of an overview, the, uh, since, since that time, there, in 1993, there was an Oswald Accord, and there have been some other agreements regarding Judea and Samaria. Um, Judea and Samaria have been partitioned into an area A, which is all Arab, an area B, which is under mutual control, and an area C, which is supposed to be in total Jewish control. Um, there is there is nothing in any of the accords or agreements that prevents Jewish building in Area C. However, the campaign that we're now hearing against, you know, the settlements being the the, the uh, impediment to peace, the obstacle to peace, we're talking about neighborhoods that are being built in Area C. Um, area A and B are are really not uh, part of this discussion. So back to the Temple Mount. Um, every time Afsi goes to Israel, we take a visit to the to the Temple Mount, and um, it's a it's we go and we we go as Jewish people. We identify ourselves that we're a group of Jews, and we want to go and 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 visit our holiest place. Um, this is the place where the first and the second temples stood. And um, we have such a connection to it. Uh, the picture that you see there is a picture that I took, um, and I, I found it really heartbreaking. Um, the, the mosque, again, uh, defines where we are, but you can see the way it's been treated by the, the, the Jordanian waqf. Um, there's rubble all over the place. Things have been torn up. People play soccer up there. They picnic. They do not treat it as a holy place. However, Jews may not go, go there and pray. They may not bring a prayer book. Uh, lately, there have been uh, situations where people have gone up there and cried and been, and been removed from the Temple Mount. They are not allowed to use water fountains. Um, it really there is a there is a, a real feeling of um, uh, of, of being uh, trampled upon, really being trampled upon uh, when you go up to that Temple Mount. And I will tell you, uh, since I've started going up, which is not that long, maybe within the last five years, um, we've gone from being able to go up and look around and stop and talk and and look at what was, where we're standing, um, and, and open maps, and, and really 
really you know figure out what everything is to a point where now we are rushed through if there are a group of 10 of us we're surrounded by about 15 guards and they push us and we can't stop and it's just push 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 until you're you know until you're off the mount um there's there's clear discrimination against Jews on the Temple Mount. It's absolute bias and discrimination, and there's, there are no other words for it. Because Christian groups, and all of you can just walk right in, you go right through the security area, just you know, the, just the usual security kind of thing, and that's it. We hand in our passports, we stand in the sunshine an hour, as much as it takes, waiting for them to approve our entry, and uh, and then they allow us in, uh, carefully checking our possessions, carefully checking. I'm wearing a uh, a little uh, uh, necklace here. It's Yerushalayim. Uh, it's uh, If I forget the old Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its cunning. This would not be allowed on Har Habayit. Uh, I don't know what Judy, no, Judy's not wearing, but any, any Jewish star, anything like that is forbidden. And then once we get up there, uh, the way Judy is dressed now, not appropriate. I, the way I'm dressed, my, my arms are, are somewhat bare, not appropriate. Uh, the Muslim walk comes over screaming, screaming hysterically, uh, pointing, uh, shouting in, in uh, Arabic, that uh, we have to cover up, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, if we don't want to get thrown off, the Israeli police go along with them. And if we don't want to get thrown off the mount right then and there, we have to oblige. We have to comply with their wishes. So it's a disgraceful situation. We're mortified every single time. However, we go because it's very important that we make the statement that we are entitled to go. And we're hoping and praying there are organizations in Israel today that are working very hard to change that attitude, to get more and more Jews to go, more Israelis to go, so that um, this discrimination uh, will end. Um, Unfortunately, there's the other side of the story, too, because the rabbinate, which has a lot of control in Israel, uh, some of them maintain that because the place is such a holy place, that we shouldn't walk on the mountain because we might walk in an area where one of the temples did exist. Um, we believe that that uh, that's not a problem for us. We go with Rabbi Richmond from the Temple of Mount Institute, and he takes us to areas that he knows are not not on on the Temple Mount on the uh, the temple areas. So, uh, but this causes some confusion also. And uh, we we keep noticing that the uh, the Jewish world is a sort of schizophrenic world. Uh, the Israelis do not all have the same opinions on everything, as you're undoubtedly well aware. And uh, that's what causes a lot of the problems. So just to give you an idea of what uh, these temples look like, um, I think Solomon's temple was the first temple, and the other one, the second temple, was built by Herod. Um, Solomon's temple was was destroyed in 587 BCE, and this uh, by the Babylonians. And the second temple in 
70 AD by the, um, by the Romans. But when they existed, um, there was prayer quite often, but the commandments to be fulfilled were really to go there, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Those are the three harvest festivals. Many other, I probably know the meanings of these, of these holidays, Passover, um, is, is about the exile from, from Egypt, Shavuot is about receiving the Torah, and Sukkot is about wandering in the, in the desert. And just briefly, um, you know, people think about what, what is this Palestinian claim to the land? Well, the, the term Palestine is a term that was given by the Romans to the area that the Jews live in as sort of a, a stick in the eye because the, the Philistines, who were no longer in existence at that time, had been such terrible people. And so when they wanted to erase all memory of, of the Jewish people from, 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 from existence, uh, they called the land of Israel Palestina. And uh, <coughs> that, that comes through to, you know, over the ages. And in terms of the, the Palestinian right of return, um, according, under international law, there really is no such thing as a right of, to be a refugee for generation after generation after generation. Um, if you are a refugee, you're a refugee because you're in danger, you're seeking asylum, you, it's a personal right. Only these, these uh, Arabs who call themselves Palestinians have been in, enabled by the world to pass this status down from generation and generation, thereby growing from a group of about half a million people who left during the, uh, the war in 48 and 49 um, to millions today. And, and the thing that uh, most people don't even realize is that there were so many refugees, that Jewish refugees, who came from the Arab countries at the same time, who were expelled from Egypt and Morocco and Yemen and Iraq and Iran and Syria uh, in '48 because um, the the Arabs had lost the war. They were they were expelled and they left after centuries of having lived in these countries, having built big, nice businesses, uh, uh, nice ancestry there, etc. What happened to those million Jews who were thrown out of those countries? Nobody thinks about them. Nobody knows about them. They were, the United Nations did not set up a special refugee organization to take care of those Jews. They had to just be absorbed into Israel or Palestine at the time, either into Palestine or some of them wanted, they, from Libya, they went to Italy, uh, different countries till they finally ended up in whatever final destination they found. But um, the, the tragedy that we see is that the United Nations, which is no friend of Israel and never has been, uh, that the United Nations created UNRWA, the United Nations Works Relief Association just for the 
Arab refugees, just for, and there were only about 500,000 of them. Now they claim 3 million, 4 million, 5 million, whatever the claim is, because, because they pass the status down. And the Arab world has encouraged the, the maintenance of, of uh, refugee camps, Arab refugee camps. There aren't that many of them, and there aren't that many refugees in there. There aren't that many Arabs there. But they encourage it because it works for the world media. So when the, the uh, you know, I tell the story about how we, we're, in Har, we're on Hargrizim, which overlooks Shechem or Nablus, and we look down, right down into a refugee camp, which is like, like say, if you were looking from a distance, so it would be the size of this table, narrow little streets and so on, but spreading out, just, just, just like this room, spreading out all around this, this little uh, warren of streets and buildings and so on, is a beautiful city. A beautiful, beautiful, large city with with apartment buildings and and stores, uh, shops, everything. And why couldn't that refugee camp be absorbed into that city? It certainly could be, but it doesn't serve that purpose. The purpose is to keep it as it is so when the New York Times correspondents come in, they can take pictures of of this poor refugee camp, and that's the image that the world has of the poor oppressed Arabs. So the whole thing is deception, 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 and unfortunately, it's very hard to fight it. So there, been, there are so many efforts to delegitimize Israel, and one of them is the cry of uh, Israel as an apartheid state. And I know last year I, I went over to Columbia University, which is in New York, and I was there for Israel Apartheid Week. Um, and the students set up uh, you know, all kinds of booths where they're discussing the, the terrible, terrible atrocities that Israel is imposing on the Palestinians. What we see when we go it are th signs like this. Um, outside Area A, for sure, and now even within Jerusalem, there are signs that say this road leads to a Palestinian village. The entrance for Israeli citizens is dangerous. And when they say dangerous, they don't just mean dangerous. They mean you probably will not come out. Quite threatening. Yeah, it is, it is really, people have uh, inadvertently wandered in and uh, they haven't wandered back out. And of course these signs are put up by the Israeli government uh, because they don't want, and, and when it says Israeli citizens, they're not talking about Israeli Arabs. They're talking about Jews. And Jews who enter into any Arab area are in danger of their lives. So the apartheid, if there is any, is against the Jews. It's not against the Arabs. The Arabs move freely around Israel. They move freely. You see them in the shopping malls. You see them on the beaches. You see them everywhere, everywhere. The streets of Jerusalem are loaded with them. The, the, uh, uh, and as you drive through Israel, you go through the Negev, you go through the, the Galilee. The Galilee is part of, most of you I'm sure have been there because you've gone to uh, uh, the areas uh, where, where uh, Jesus went to uh, gather his uh, disciples in, in Capernaum or Capernaum, whichever way you pronounce it. Um, 
filled with Arabs. This is Area C. This is Israeli. It's all filled with Arabs. So the Israeli government puts up these red signs, and uh, we see them all over the place. And especially, as Judy said, when you see them in Jerusalem, when you see them in Jerusalem, then it's horrifying. And uh, actually, one of the guests that Anne brought, Aryeh King, who is very involved in in uh, holding on to Jerusalem, he said, we're going through. <laughs> and we said, we are. And he said, yes, we're going to go through and we're going to see what happens. And uh, uh, we did do it. And, and fortunately, we were able to get in and get out without any problem. Uh, we've done a, a little... Stayed on the bus. We, did, we do a little undercover work every once in a while, and, and uh, it's always, you know, we laugh about it afterwards, but while we're doing it, uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit of concern. So our missions uh, let us see the real Israel, and um, you can see up here on the on the left um, we that's our group sitting in a tent it was called the shepherd's tent in an area of Samaria called Kfar uh, Tapuach and um, not that I want to rag on the Israeli government but um, this tent was raised over a year ago as being an illegal structure so we're talking about you know building illegally. Um, laws are enforced very, very stringently against Jews. Um, actually, in this case, the family found out that it was going to be raised and, and begged to be allowed to take it down uh, safely so that it could be reassembled elsewhere and the army wouldn't wait. Um, so it was, it was just torn apart. I want you to realize that this place, Kfar Tepuach, is only less than an hour's drive from Jerusalem. So the size of Israel is not Texas. <laughs> it's not Texas. And, and uh, uh, you go from, from this thriving city of Yerushalayim, which is really just, just a remarkable city, uh, and less than an hour's drive, you're on a hilltop in a shepherd's tent. And then uh, the photo on the right, uh, many of you are, were, were aware of the uh, expulsion of uh, the Jews from Gaza, from the communities called Gush Katif. Uh, this is 10 years after the expulsion. There were Jews in Ariel who were still waiting for permanent housing, living in uh, trailers like this. Uh, the new Nazarene community in Ariel um, has been built. At this point, when I took this photo, uh, it was not yet uh, uh, inhabited. Most of the trailers have been taken down, and most people are now living in homes like this. The, the whole story of Gush Katif, 10,000 people living in 21 communities in, in the, on the Gaza border, it's a very, very uh, intense story, one that we were very, very connected with, very, very strongly involved with. And uh, it's, it's too much to go into detail 
about right now, uh, those of you who know the story, you know you know what the tragedy was. Uh, those who don't, you know, if you'd like to hear more about it, we'll be happy to talk to you about it afterwards. Um, um, because uh, for years, uh, AFSI was was committed to working with these communities, visiting them, going to the hot houses, uh, helping the people. Although they didn't need much help. They, it was, these were thriving communities, but they were always threatened with, with uh, demolition, and Ariel Sharon destroyed them, and uh, the people were taken out, and no plans were made for the post-destruction period. So that's why those caravans that Judy showed you, and then just the beginning of new communities, and it's taken over 10 years for this to happen. So uh, the the picture on the right, um, our our trips are are uh, very interesting and and fun and and uh, you know going to a, a factory where they manufacture um, plastic toilet seats might not sound like a, a great stop on a trip, but um, this is a zone that is within Area C. Uh, the West Bank, and what we saw, what we see, and what we've seen in many places in, in the Barkhan, in Malaya Dumim, other places where where there are um, Arabs working in uh, the West Bank businesses. These Arabs are very, very happy where they're working. They are making probably about five times what they would be able to make anywhere else. Um, in their in their area, they're supporting their families. They're treated the same as as anybody else. They're given the same benefits as anybody else. Um, and they, while they're not Israeli citizens as the uh, the Israeli Arabs, um, they are treated beautifully. So when we'll, I'll talk a little bit about BDS later, because again, that's another huge topic. But um, boycott, divestment, and sanction, when you're boycotting a business that is doing business in Area C, what you're really doing is hurting Arabs uh, much more than you're hurting the Jewish people. So uh, my mom was talking about the, the little, the little uh, hovels that you see uh, when you when you look down into Janine or or one of the refugee camps, when we drive along the roads in the West Bank or Judea Samaria, we see homes like uh, what you see on on your left. Um, they put these homes up so quickly that they don't even have time to put in windows. As soon as they're able to grab some land, they put put homes up. And uh, this is not atypical. This is a, a fairly typical type of, of structure that you see as you drive along the roads. And as you can see on the right, Ramallah, which has a, a refugee camp within it, is a beautiful, thriving, clean, nice city um, in Area A. 
one one thing about uh, the Arab cities, you know, you can always distinguish between the Arab cities and the Jewish communities because the Arab cities just are sprawling in the sunshine. The minarets you see glowing, you know, nice and tall, standing proudly, apartment buildings, all the rest. When you come to the Jewish communities in, in Judea and Samaria, the, the, the way you're sure that you're coming to a Jewish community is that there's a fence, there's a guard, uh, and, uh, you know, and it's a confined area. So uh, talk about discrimination and, and apartheid and all of that. It's a little bit shocking to realize that in the Jewish homeland, it's the Jews who are, who, who are the ones who are being discriminated against. It, it really, you know, it just keeps hitting you in the face that that's the case. These are just a, a couple of cartoons. Um, here's Netanyahu saying our legal rights are our best kept secret. And then I just love the cartoon on the right. Um, with all the countries that are available to the Arab world, um, the problem is that Israel is sitting in the one chair that, that, uh, that it has. And, and if they would get up, the problems of the world would be solved. So I said I, I would briefly touch on BDS. BDS is boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Um, the movement, which really is basically at its heart anti-Semitism, is, is, is an attempt to, to cut off Israel by choking it economically, uh, by boycotting Israeli goods and services, divesting from investments and holdings in Israeli companies, and imposing international sanctions on Israel. And unfortunately, yesterday at, a, at the meeting that we had, there was a young girl there who uh, goes to one of the Texas universities, and she said the problem on the campus is really horrific because uh, the Muslim organizations, which are in the minority, but they're the most uh, uh, outspoken and the most active, and they are constantly promoting this this BDS, this hatred, this anti-Semitism um, against Israel. And, um, it, and kind of couch it in, in terms of being a, a liberation movement, a, a justice movement. Right. Um, and, and it really is anything, anything but. Um, but and by using those types of terms, they, they capture the minds and hearts of the young people. Um, it takes a it takes a really strong young person to to you know uh, and it's very unpopular to go against this, this uh, to to kind of be labeled as someone who is an Islamophobe. Um, so it, it, it's a it's a tough tough thing for kids on campuses, um, and I'm I'm sure some of your children are able to stand up to it, but many many. Don't. Well, another thing that this young lady pointed out to us, which I think is very important, is that somehow or other, the BDS movement has merged with the Black Lives Matter movement, because the Black Lives Matter people are supposedly the oppressed uh, blacks, and so they find so much in common with the, the oppressed Palestinians. 
So all of this is, is fraudulent. This is fraudulent. Those of you who've been following what's just been happening in North Carolina, you know, they discovered that 75% of the demonstrators there, the looters and the burners and so on, were imported, imported demonstrators. They're paid. They're paid by people like George Soros to go from place to place and, and riot. Well, so, you know, there's no, look, we know all about uh, the slavery and, and uh, the history of uh, the black movement and so on, and obviously there's lots that has to be remedied, but these are not the people who are really demonstrating. It's just really people who are trying to destroy America and, and destroy Israel at the same time. So we, we have to be very, very alert, very smart, and... and, and you know, write those letters, uh, send those messages, get get our protests out so that um, these things don't just grow and grow and proliferate. So I, I just flipped past the academic and the economic boycotting. Um, basically, the academic uh, boycotting means that they're they're not doing exchanges. Um, the Israeli universities are not able to exchange professors, they're not able to have student exchanges, um, which, which hurts the universities to a certain extent. Uh, Israel is lucky that it has a really a great um, uh, school system, uh, uh, university system, and so it's not hurt that much, but, um, but it is, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficulty, and it's a, it's a, it's a black mark. Um, and it and it hurts. So um, we this kind of leads us. I, and what I wanted to say actually was, um, at this point, I, I you know we're talking, we're telling you so many different things about different issues that ha come up that that we feel strongly about, um, and we hope you feel strongly about some of these issues as well. Um, we really encourage people to write, call, somehow contact their, their local politicians, their local politicians, their national politicians, and let them know how you feel. Um, if you're not sure, if you're not up on the news so much, you want to be part of our mailing list, we're happy to add you to our mailing list. Um, we very often, uh, based on what's going on in the world, will send out alerts saying um, XYZ has happened and this is who we can call to, to say please try to stop it or thank you so much for, for supporting um, the position that we're, we're taking. So as much as we're giving you information, one of the things that we'd really like you to take away from it is the uh, a feeling of empowerment that you can do something to, you can really make a difference. Um, my daughter worked in a, in a uh, state senator's office for a while and uh, she said, you know, the, they definitely pay attention to certainly when constituents call. Um, they definitely, phone calls are huge. Letters are huge. 
emails are good, not, not quite as good, because it's very easy to cut and paste an email and send it off. But, um, and, and Anne has a wonderful story about, about contacting um, Kay Granger. Um, the people really do, you know, your, your, your government officials want to hear from you. They want to hear what you have to say. Um, so, uh, 2014, Operation Protective Edge. Three beautiful young boys were uh, kidnapped, and um, it started a, uh, a frantic search for them. Um, the, the search ended in finding them killed, and uh, the whole thing became a, uh, a, like a referendum on whether Israel should be there in, in, in the first place. And it was, it was a time where we really saw how the media is so biased towards Israel. There was always, you know, is, is Israel responding proportionately? You know, if you get many, many rockets thrown at you and then you send back a rocket to, to where the rocket is coming from, well, you know, the rockets were coming out of Gaza at this point um, purposely from, from hospitals, from schools. The, this is where Hamas was, was launching rockets. Um, and so to return fire to those same places um, it, uh, necessarily meant that there was some collateral damage. And the media found that this was very disproportionate. Um, but, but very often Israel aborted, you know, uh, actions that should have been taken because, say, they, they notified and they, <laughs> they sent uh, uh, telephone messages and email messages and so on saying, we're coming, we're coming to, to bomb this building. And uh, the, the Arabs, you know, and the purpose was for the Israelis wanted the Arabs to evacuate the building. But what they would do was put their women and children on the rooftops. So the, Arab, the Israeli uh, Air Force would come, women and children, well, we can't bomb this building. So they turned around and went home. And, uh, you know... And they also put their... their uh, the army also put its people in, in real danger by going in and trying to get people out of buildings before they bombed them. But by putting, by putting them in that position where they were going into enemy territory and clearing buildings out so that they wouldn't be, uh, there wouldn't be any collateral damage, there was a lot of, there were many lives lost. So... Um, So basically, what we're what what our position is is that the Gaza War was the natural outcome of the uh, Gush Katif 2005 expulsion. Um, what happened was that Gaza became what we call Judenrein, uh, no Jews allowed, and quickly it the PA lost control of it. Hamas took control of it, and um, Hamas is the 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 PA and the Hamas charters call for the destruction of Israel, period. Not, not talking about 
a West Bank or a Judea Samaria. They want Israel destroyed. And so, um, again, we see that land for peace just doesn't work. The other day, um, I don't know if any of you saw uh, Benjamin Netanyahu at the address of the United Nations. Um, he said a couple of really good things. One of them was, the UN began as a moral force and now has become a moral farce. <laughs> Um, but he, you know, he said the disgrace of the General Assembly that last year passed 20 resolutions against the democratic state of Israel and a grand total of three resolutions against all other countries on the planet. So Israel is a country that gives rights to all people, uh, women's rights, gay rights. Um, you know, it's, it's a very egalitarian society. And yet they were found to have um, uh, resolution. There were, there were 20 resolutions passed against it. Um, and to add insult to injury, UNESCO, which is also a UN agency, um, just denied the 4,000-year connection between the Jewish people and its holiest site, the Temple Mount. Um, in the words of Benjamin Netanyahu, that's just as absurd as denying the connection between the Great Wall of China and China. Um, so, but he was there and with a very, very upbeat message about um, Israel's future in, in the world and even in the UN. Um, because Israel is, is the light unto the nations. It has, it has uh, the, the, tech, the technology and the, uh, the desire to share that technology to help save the world from a lot of the things that are going on. Uh, UNRWA, the, the refugee agency, um, has been exposed as a Hamas employer. Uh, we're finding that the money that goes to these refugees um, very often ends up in the pockets of the uh, terrorists and uh, actually they pay terrorists salaries. The, the more you kill, the more you make. Um, but also a lot of the funding that the world is, is giving to uh, the Palestinian Authority and uh, has been going to uh, build the war machine to build tunnels and to um, uh, and, and arms to attack. <laughs> we have maps, we have these cards that are outside and you're all welcome to take as many as you like. We have a, a, a large supply of them. Uh, that just shows, this was a map that was made by our present chairman, Mark Langfan, he's called the Map Man uh, because he's been making these maps for years. And uh, you see, he puts West Bank. We don't use that language. We don't say West Bank. We don't say Palestinian. Um, but he used it just because this is the terminology that people understand. And he's showing how, how uh, if the Arabs had Judea and Samaria as their state, then it would be so easy for the Katyushas to go bang, bang, bang right into the uh, most populated area of Israel. That nine-mile-wide strip 
there. And, you know, <laughs> here in Texas, I know people have nine mile long driveways and, and nine mile wide, uh, you know, it's nothing. Uh, it's, it's, the distance is nothing to you. And that's the distance in width between the Mediterranean and this um, boundary, which is called the Green Line, which was really just the Armistice Line. And uh, so the the uh, Katyushas could go in there and, and destroy Tel Aviv and all the communities, uh, Hadera and uh, Herzli and so on, uh, that it holds 70% of the Jewish population, 80% of the industrial base. And then you see what we see now, the rockets that are coming from Gaza. Um, and of course we learn, you see up there where Lebanon is, uh, we know now that uh, with the help of Iran, Hezbollah, located in, in Lebanon, has thousands of rockets aimed at northern Israel. And uh, I don't know what they're waiting for, what the timing is, uh, whether, they're just, whether they just recognize that it would create a very strong retaliation on the part of Israel. Um, but... Uh, the rockets are there, ready to do harm. So, you know, Israel is is extremely vulnerable, and and uh, and there's the Golan Heights, uh, you know, just just on the border of Syria. So we we really, really, really have to appreciate the fact that you know the very fact that Israel exists is a miracle. You know, God really He wants this land to be. It is the chosen. It is the promised land. The Jews are the chosen people. Uh, we will survive it. We will survive it. We have no, no doubt about that. But as we've seen through history, and uh, uh, I'm sure all of you have studied somewhat, um, the, the persecution, the exiles, and all the rest have happened over the, over the centuries. And sometimes the Jews are down to a tiny population. But then... You know, it's with God's help we we strengthen and grow. And uh, Israel is a miracle country. There's no question about it, because if it were a normal country without without God's help, um, it really couldn't survive in that in that uh, uh, area with those neighbors who are all all dedicated to its destruction. But the situation is changing now, and because of Obama's Failure to carry out any any of the um, uh, obligations that America has had, like the Syrian red line and so on. So the red line disappeared, and now Syria is just a mess. Every country is falling apart, and so what's happening? There's a realignment. So countries that had been enemies of Israel, like Saudi Arabia, they're now realizing that maybe they should uh, you know change their alliances and uh, uh, rethink the situation so Israel is going to emerge okay from all of this uh, it just uh, it's just going to be a battle just to add one thing I mean uh, I think it's really important to see on this map that uh, Rockets, and we're talking, he's talking here, Katusha rockets. Katusha rockets are rockets that can be held on your shoulder and, and carried and, and just shot off. 
uh, a Katusha rocket fired from Gaza going out into Israel is going into very unpopulated land. And that's been happening you know, by the thousands for years now. Um, but mostly they hit animals. They hit cows, they hit fields, they, they hit nothing. No one's injured. Um, the situation would be vastly, vastly different if, if a rocket went off from here. And, and when, you know, we, we always say, I, I don't know if you know the proximi proximity of Brooklyn to New York, but it would be like shooting a rocket from Brooklyn into Manhattan. You would certainly hit buildings, you'd hit people, you'd hit, you, you would really do devast devastating, devastating things. So we want you to know a little bit else about, uh, about what AFSI does, and uh, a couple of years ago, there was a, well, many years ago, um, there was a ship called the Achille Loro, and it, uh, in 1985, the, one of the first acts of the PLO was to hijack this ship, and they threatened to kill all the Americans and Jews on board, and as a start, they took a, a man in a wheelchair named Leon, uh, Leon Klinghoffer. Uh, they shot him and threw him and his wheelchair overboard. Um, we got wind of the fact that there was going to be an opera performed at the Metropolitan Opera House, very, very sympathetic to the PLO side of, of the story. And um, <laughs> um, someone went out and rented... Um, two wheelchairs and made some signs and uh, started a, uh, a revolt against this. Um, eventually, we had thousands of people demonstrating. Uh, the, the last demonstration that we had had about 100 wheelchairs rented, people sitting in them. And uh, even though the opera was not canceled, uh, the Metropolitan Opera House had many, many donations cut off, and they will, they and probably no other company will, will do this opera again. Um, also, last year, when, when the Iran deal was being uh, discussed, we got together with many other organizations, and this was this is while we were still in progress. Um, as you can see, we, KUFI is one of the organizations. Um, there are organizations that are, these are not all Jewish organizations, um, just people of good conscience who knew that the, uh, the Iran deal was going to be a bad deal. And we had uh, our... We had a number of demonstrations. Uh, the final one had about 12,000 people in Times Square with uh, an amazing lineup of speakers. And um, it, it, it made news all over the place that, that people were standing up for what's right. And I think that uh, what's happened since then has kind of borne out the fact that we were right. They, they are not keeping up their end of the agreement, and it, it's, it's really something that's, that's put the world in danger.
I, I have to add here that we went to the offices of um, our, our state senators, uh, Schumer and Gillibrand, to uh, get them to be on our side against the Iran deal, even though they, they're Democratic senators. And Schumer did come out against it, um, even though he really did it like a name only and, and didn't, didn't help to round up any of his fellow Senate senators. And we were at Gillibrand's office, and um, um, we sat down on the sidewalk in front of her office and um, got arrested for, for doing that. Uh, the police knew that we were going to do it, so we, we always call this a friendly arrest. This was my second friendly arrest. And um, they actually put you in, in handcuffs and take you into the paddy wagon and take you over to the, uh, uh, the police precinct and all the rest of it. Uh, it's, it's not the most, uh, most uh, pleasant experience. It's not so terrible either. Uh, but, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just have to do those things. You know, it sounds sort of terrible to say, you know, that uh, you have to get arrested, but it, it uh, of course, made the papers and uh, there was some publicity, et cetera. And, and we have to, um, you know, you just have to take a stand. So um, our next mission to Israel is uh, November 10th to the 16th. And, of course, everybody's invited. Um, and, uh, you know, what happens when we go on our missions, we don't really go sightseeing. Uh, we spend time with the people. We, we learn what's going on. We talk to them. Uh, we definitely, um, as Anne mentioned, would, would kind of pivot on a, on, a, you know, on a little stick. If something has happened that we feel people need to have a visit and have, have someone come and listen to hear what's going on with them, uh, we will change our, our plans and, and just uh, go, go be with them. Uh, but for those of you who can't be on our missions, uh, we also have many people who come into, certainly into the New York area, and they come to, to talk to us about what's happening in Israel and give us the unbiased story of what, what really is happening. And for them it would be pretty easy to, to make a, a detour uh, to this area and come and speak to you and your friends. And so, um, you know, one of our other asks for you is to open your homes and invite your friends and let the word spread about what really is happening um, in Israel. So here we see some... some Cute kids on a on a put in, in what's called a hilltop settlement. Uh, we call it a neighborhood, and uh, this is in Judea Samaria. And on the right is a, an adorable um, dance troupe that we saw in Ariel. Um, you know, we we really do travel all over the place. Um, you see a woman on on your upper left-hand corner. Uh, she's showing us what's happening in southern Tel Aviv. There's been an infiltration of Eritrean and Sudanese people who came in 
when there was no wall up, when there was not, nothing protecting the border. And these people are not trying to assimilate into Israeli society. They are really trying to change Israeli society and, and live the way they, they are accustomed to living. It's just they don't want to live in their own countries anymore because they're too dangerous. And, uh, and they've been violent and murderous and they've really been, they've, they've pretty much destroyed southern Tel Aviv and now they're spreading out into other areas in Israel. Uh, my Golan is, uh, my prediction is that she will be a Knesset member one day. She's an amazingly well-spoken young woman and uh, so dedicated. Uh, so we, she's somebody that we, we visit. We'll be visiting her in November. Um, you can see on the right a group of us standing at the temporary Gush Katif Museum um, outside that Gush Katif Museum where they tell the story of the expulsion from Gush Katif and, and show pictures of what it was like. Now, these were thriving, thriving communities. These were people with wonderful businesses. They had built, they had come to an area that was sand, really beach and sand. And uh, they had amazing greenhouses. They were exporting uh, within Israel and without um, vegetables and flowers. And and really, they, they had created quite a dreamland for themselves and they are ready to pick up and move back any time that, that they could you know, be allowed to. Um, but so far, uh, no go. Uh, so that's, they're temporary and they are working towards building a, a more permanent uh, museum to, to, to commemorate uh, Grish Katif. Um, and then on the bottom below May, you see the Herva Synagogue, which is a synagogue that was in Jerusalem that was uh, pretty much destroyed and uh, has now been rebuilt and brought back to its former glory, and it's a beautiful thing to see. And on the right-hand side, you see uh, my mom with uh, one of her old friends, somebody she's known for years and years, a man named Alon Davidi, she met him when he was a young, young man studying in the yeshiva in Steyrot. Steyrot is a community that is right outside Gaza and is under constant rocket attack. Um, every home has a safe house. Uh, children's playgrounds are built um, so that they have a place to run and hide from bombs. Uh, what do they have, 15 seconds? When one an alarm goes off, I don't think they have that much. Not even that. It's it's really it's really amazing. Anyway, uh, her old friend who's in the center there is uh, now the mayor of Stayrote, and uh, he's a a terrific guy, and we love to visit with him. Uh, this is Stayrote, and here you see the uh, the head of the yeshiva in Stayrote, um, and uh, standing next to a menorah that is built out of the remains of Katusha rockets that were picked up in different places uh, that had been fired at their community. Uh, let's see, on the left here, um, anybody know the name Danny Danone? 
Danny is the uh, new, uh, relatively new ambassador, ambassador from Israel to the United Nations. He is really making uh, a stand there on behalf of Israel. Um, he was in the Likud, and uh, he's standing there next to Aryeh King, who some of you may have met, and uh, our Chicago chapter chair, uh, Cheryl Lewin, is speaking with them. Um, so he, he's a, a friend of AFSI, as is Aryeh. And uh, on the right is uh, something called Zweibon Hall. It's a little hall in Hebron. Um, that was dedicated in honor of our, uh, now our our chairman, who's been gone for a couple of years. Um, and it has some wonderful photos, and it's at the entrance of a community that's being rebuilt. Jump in any time. Um, so some of the other things we do, we, we sometimes uh, actually get dressed up and uh, go to the Knesset and uh, meet with uh, various Knesset ministers and uh, members uh, to talk about policy. And uh, they're, they're also interested in hearing what we have to say. Uh, so actually, in addition to alerts coming from us about calling our congressmen and our senators, we may sometimes send out alerts about contacting um, Israeli dignitaries um, because they also are listening. And, and certainly hearing from, um, from Christian groups would be very, very uh, powerful to them. Um, so not all Israelis are in high tech. Um, in order to hold on to large tracts of land, many of them have gone into goat farming and shepherding. And uh, this is a, a Jordan Valley farm that we like to visit. And uh, this is also uh, a hilltop community. And uh, we just thank you for, for listening and for coming and uh, welcome any questions you have for us. So thank, thank you. Now, we, we know that so many of you regularly travel to Israel and uh, you've had many different experiences and so on. So feel free to ask any of your questions. Uh, we, we'd love to hear your comments. John. Gillibrand. Yeah. Senator Gillibrand was appointed by, um, uh, what was his name? Um, he was he was a replacement um, governor, but yes, she was appointed by the governor to replace Hillary, and Hillary left. What's that? <laughs> Fortun fortunately, uh, we didn't have to uh, post a bond, but uh, you know, if it ever happens, John, I know you're there behind me, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's wonderful, actually. We have a, a very, really, really good working relationship with the New York PD. Um, we, anytime we're doing anything, and, and we do, uh, you know, lots of things happen in New York. Uh, lots of people come to town, 
and very often we feel it's necessary to, to get out there and, and be on the street and either welcome people or protest against what they're doing. And we always, always alert the NYPD to what we're doing, and they are always there to, to uh, serve and protect. How large is our organization? We have about uh, 2,000 members, and uh, uh, we're actually a national and even international organization. Uh, we have uh, uh, members in Canada, um, Germany, um, uh, France, England, uh, and throughout the uh, United States. And we have chapters, like Ann is our chapter chairman here in Texas. Uh, and we have uh, chapters in, of course, New York, New Jersey, Chicago, Philadelphia, uh, Miami. Um, uh, we sort of have <laughs> Arizona, but we sort of have a, an emptiness in the middle of the country. I mean, we don't, we're not really there with uh, Iowa and Idaho and uh, the Dakotas and so on. So uh, we're, we'll be happy to spread to those places also. But uh, um, people, you know, a lot of people have never heard of us, but the people who have heard of us uh, become very, very dedicated to us because we we are a unique organization. There's no hesitation. There's no... Well, maybe the Oslo Accords will work. No, no. We knew from the outset. We knew from the outset. And this morning we had the privilege of uh, watching a, um, a PowerPoint that uh, that John Stacy had put together. And, you know, there's, there's Chamberlain, you know, uh, uh, making his uh, peace in our time and all of this. And, of course, we know from history what happened to that, that the whole thing just was nothing. Uh, these guys lie through their teeth and they're happy to sign pieces of paper, make treaties and so on. History repeats itself. The Arabs do the same thing. Um, they'll sign any piece of paper. They, you know, when, we, when Oslo was signed, that same day, that same day, we have it on record, Arafat spoke to his people and said, pay no attention to that. Pay no attention to that agreement because this is like the treaty of... Uh, Hamabaya or something, some ancient well, treaty. For people who've re read the Quran, they know that um, a treaty is only as it, it's only made in order to give you time to rearm and get get ready for the next battle. These I actually are, think the word might be takia. I think that might be the word that they use for for uh, a treaty that can be broken. So. You know, we knew from the beginning, not 1993, Oslo was signed. Everybody was saying, oh, isn't this wonderful? The Shalom process, peace, peace in our time. We called it the Salami process. From the very outset, we said this is just a means of chopping Israel up into pieces. And this was the design of it. So, um, you know, people, people know that we are an authentic organization. Another thing that we do, we, we are not um, territorial, where we're afraid that uh, if we speak about another organization, we hand out maps from that the One Israel Fund creates. 
uh, we're not afraid to say, okay, there's another group that is doing some good work also, and it's the One Israel Fund. We're not afraid, like when that UN, uh, that anti-UN um, demonstration that we did, we joined with with um, 20 other organizations, and we promote them, and we work with them, and we, we admire them. And all these these groups, when the uh, Akko Yeshiva representative comes in to, to, to speak to, um, to try to find donors and so on, we host him. We host him, and we're not we're not saying to people, you know, and when we take people on our trips, we don't raise money for our organization, and Anne can attest to that. We never make a pitch for AFSI. Um, it's very nice if people give us money. It's very, I mean, we do need support, but we have always said, you know, we come into these communities, like this one happens to be Yitzhar in the Shomron, which is just such beautiful country, and People go in, and if our if our uh, members want to make a donation to Yitzhar, we say that's great. That's great. We built the synagogue. We built the um, the playground there. We did that. I didn't say, oh, you can't give to them. You know, this money has to come to AFSI. Absolutely not. We encourage we encourage uh, everyone to help wherever they see fit, wherever they see the need. So. We are unique, and and I'm I'm very proud of the fact that that um, uh, our organization works in Israel. We work outside of Israel. We're demonstrating all the time. We're 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 standing up for the needs uh, as they come up, and um, we really really welcome all of you to become uh, ambassadors for us and ambassadors for Israel, ambassadors for America, because we do know that the world is in a uh, risky place right now with Iran there threatening threatening um, the little Satan, Israel, and the great Satan, America. You know, so um, we have a lot of work to do as Americans to protect Israel, to protect America, and uh, protect the futures of our families. Question. It's unlike me to step up on stage like this with something that's going like this, but I just had to say it. I've been to Israel a couple of times, and uh, I went over there uh, one time. It's been like 35 years ago took my uh, two oldest children, and then uh, seven years later, I took my youngest uh, two children. So they got to an age where they were like 12 or 13, and it was time to take them over there. I guess, I know we went in a kind of a figure eight pattern around Israel, and uh, we got along the coast, I think it was Caesarea, and there was a drilling rig there. And I said, well, I didn't know they had oil in Israel. Well, it turns out it was a dry hole, and they don't have oil in Israel. So I guess one of my questions is, uh, what is it about the Palestinians? I'll make an ignorant statement here. I think they're all Arabians, basically. Is that right? Okay. Why do, why do they want to go to Israel? What is it there that is their desire to move there? Um, 
there's a lot of manufacturing goes on there. There's cutting diamonds and there's other, I don't know, clothing. I don't know what all kind of manufacturing they got. But personally, I'd other than knowing that the uh, the fact that Jesus that's Jesus country, you know, and it's a loving country. All, everybody around them is a hating country, and they're all trying to go there. And I don't know why, for what reason, except because it's got all the points of history. That's a big industry there. And there's a lot of other industries there. In fact, I went up in a high-rise high there, and uh, they were selling diamonds. There's a big diamond-cutting deal in Israel, okay? Uh, so we're spending billions of dollars, or have spent over the years, billions of dollars, you know, supporting Israel. And uh, to me, uh, I don't know, this may not go over well, but I would like to see all the Jews immigrated to America and turn it over to Pakistan, or not Pakistan. Uh, uh, well, I, I think what we're trying to say yeah, is yeah, that and there's just turn a them over. To, just let them go ahead and take the country, take all the people and all the industries out, and come to America. I mean, that that is what they would like to see, I and mean, that's what they're looking for is uh, for for Israel to to cease to exist. Um, but what we're trying to say is that Jews are the the indigenous people to Israel. This is our native homeland, and we want we want to be able we, Jews want to be able to live safely and securely in that land. And when you ask why do the Palestinians want to 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 come into Israel, it's because they they it's a, it's an ancient hatred. And it's also because they would like to replace, they would like to take their culture, wipe us out, wipe out the Christian culture, and 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 take take all of that and make it their own. They want to create, they want to recreate the Islamic Caliphate. But uh, I think your question is a sort of a practical question, like you know, like uh, what what economic. And uh, what what uh, uh, material uh, value would Israel have if the Arabs did take it over? I mean, you know, but actually, I mean, there have been so many developments. Originally, it was just uh, barren land and all the rest. So there is a lot that uh, that is a value there. But it's much more than that. As as Judy said, they're they're out to create this caliphate and they and uh, the the um uh the hatred, uh the the um the desire to take over the holy land because the Jews have made it such a thriving country. You know, when Jordan had complete control over it between forty eight and sixty seven they didn't bother with it at all. It was all. It was you know. It was left. It and, was, and by the way, Israel is really the only Western civilized country between all of these Islamic countries and Europe. Well, unfortunately, our history is filled with tremendous suffering 
the history of the world, I'm not just talking about Jewish history, it's filled with tremendous suffering. World War I was horrific. World War II, uh, 6 million Jews and, and uh, 12 million others or something, countries just, just destroyed. Um, uh, we went through the Korean War, Vietnam War, all these things. Um, it so happens that Israel is strategically located and is of great value to the United States and is of great value to NATO. And we have material outside with maps and, and text explaining all of that, what Israel's value is to the world in terms of being a, a strategically placed military asset. But lives lost, it never ends. It never ends. As we're speaking, I'm sure there's a terror attack in Israel this minute. There's a famous saying that Golda Meir uh, is known for. She was a, a prime minister uh, of Israel during the uh, 73 war. And her, her, uh, her saying was that if the Jews laid down their arms there would be no Israel. If, if Israel laid down its arms, there would be no Israel. No Israel. If the... Oh, what, what did she say? <laughs> no, she, uh, no, she said something about, you know, if the, if the Arabs would love their children more than they would love killing the Jews, then, uh, you know, that would be the end of, of the conflict. But unfortunately, we know that that uh, Arab children are being indoctrinated with so much hatred. They're learning to be suicide bombers. They're learning to, to sharpen their knives so that they can go attack uh, Jews in the street. People are driving their cars, ramming them into Jews, waiting at uh, bus stops and train stations and so on. Uh, this is a culture of hate that's being indoctrinated. How long this will go on? It will go on until people learn that uh, this hatred just leads to destruction and and uh, purposelessness. They're not gaining anything. The Arabs who are working with Israel, who are working in the industrial zones and so on that Judy told you about, those Arabs are thriving. And and we have we have a, a letter in our possession from a Jordanian. Um, person of, of, who has some position in the country uh, talking about you know how bad BDS is and how that has to be ended so that uh, uh, a country like Jordan can benefit from being an ally of Israel rather than an enemy. The quote I was trying to come up with is that if the Arabs laid down their arms there'd be no more war. If the Israelis laid down their arms there'd be no more Israel. What I was trying, the quote I was trying to come up with was that if the Arabs laid down their arms, there would be no more war. If the Israelis laid down their arms, there'd be no more Israel. I said that as a Christian, the Holy Land is as important to me as a Christian as it is to any Jew. And the reason is, it's because I studied on a rabbi named Yeshua, and he's changed my life forever. And we must protect the Holy Land. 
There's just no question about it. Its value is knowing that God is in control of all things. Its value, because he's, he willed it to be there, is, is one of the most important priorities we have as Jews or Christians. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, in response also to the, the option of the Jews leaving and giving the, uh, the Palestinians that country, uh, typically the, the view from the Muslim mindset is uh, when they see something like that is that the person is weak. What they do is they don't say, okay, now we got this land. They go after more. They won't stop just because they move to the United States. They'll just come here and continue the campaign of world domination that is required by the Quran. They're not allowed to lay down their arms. They're, they have this obligation to remove anyone who is standing on land they ever viewed as their own. And this has to be done according to their, their religious viewpoint. So there's no peace by backing off. There just isn't. We don't have an option. We can't even negotiate on the basis of this. Uh, you know, what do you want? Well, they, what they want is for everyone who's not following their ideology to be non-existent. If you don't want to conform, you have the option of dying. That's essentially the end of it. A, a wonderful option. Yes, there's a religious imperative here. This is a religious imperative, and that's the component that um, that that is so difficult to deal with. Like people have said, when people are ready to die for their religion, they're ready to become martyrs for Allah and so on, then it's very difficult to fight against them. It's a, it's a whole different kind of warfare. Yes. Uh, the Bible says that the land of Israel belongs to the Jews, to the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 46 times. Did you all hear that? 46 times, there are, there are 46 scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that Jehovah gave the land to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons forever. Three of those 46, he says, forevermore. And uh, the battle for Israel is a battle for truth. And we as believers are, are mysteriously forevermore interrelated and as you lose land we lose ground too there is a mysterious connection in 48 when y'all gained statehood there was a, a move of god in the land for christians in 67 when y'all gained more land there was another move that paralleled so what we as christians have to understand there is a great price tag but did our Lamb of God not pay that price tag? And all of this is the culmination of history. It's in the prophetic scriptures. And so we appreciate you. We bless you. We say you're welcome in Texas. And uh, we appreciate Ann and John for hosting. We appreciate this church for standing up for Israel. Amen. So what it's come down to is Israel cannot back off. 
Israel cannot afford to let down its guard for a second, to lay down its arms, because there is no option of peace to the enemy. So what happens then? What happens when you have a place where you cannot back down? The only option is from there to step up. The only option when an enemy comes at you with unmatched determination and drive to destroy is to come back at them with every ounce of that same drive and determination and ferocity when they hit you strike back as hard if not harder. And that is the thing that the, that the UN doesn't seem to understand. That they, they seem to have forgotten the rules of war because we because for the most part they've lived in relative peace. They seem, to, they seem to have forgotten the old adage, all is fair in love and war, that you must protect your own with all of your strength. And they forget that, there are, that, they are, that Israel is fighting an enemy that follows no rules. They have people who are willing to step up as a human shield. And therefore, if you want to get through a shield, you must either disarm it or puncture it. And so, as, as callous as it seems, the only option for Israel left is to step up. It is to match that ferocity. It is, be, it is to become willing to accept those kind of casualties, those kind of uh, collateral damage and losses in order to drive out an enemy that has set itself up to take those, those losses. They, the only way to make an enemy want to stop fighting is to crush their support, to crush the people who are willing to take those shots, the, will, the people who are willing to become collateral damage. Well, you know, there's, there's so much pressure from, from the world. Thank you for that comment. There's so much pressure from the world, uh, so much criticism of Israel, you know, like Judy showed you in the, in the United Nations, uh, all the resolutions, the nonstop resolutions against Israel, which is really the only democratic country in the, in the Middle East, um, uh, and and all the horrible violations that go on elsewhere are totally ignored. Uh, yeah, Israel has to has to get tougher. It has to get tougher, and uh, be willing to take the criticism. There'll be nonstop criticism from the world if they if they say, uh, yeah, you know, there has to be collateral damage. I mean, the, the enemy is inviting that collateral damage. And the enemy takes advantage of Israel's, Israel's humanitarianism uh, and the fact that they will abort strikes and so on in order to save, in order to save Arab lives. Um, there's no question, I think, that if Israel went in and just fought the wars the way they have to fight them, the way wars... You want to win a war, you have to, you have to, you know, take the casualties that come with it. If they would do that, um, uh, it would be, you know, it would be like your other slogan in that other flag that uh, Texas has: uh, "Come and get it," or, 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 uh, or uh, whatever it is. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, just. Israel just has to be willing to to be tough and to take the criticism from the rest of the world. Um, if if it can do that, then um, it'll do what it has to do. That's it. You know, I mean, it's it's a hard 
it's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to be. It's a really hard place to be. And, and um, one, one of the things that, that is, is a real deterrent, I think, to Israel fighting full out is that the numbers, the numbers game is just really not on its side. And so there are a lot of younger people who are trying to find commonalities and trying to find ways to, to forge um, relationships with, with uh, you know, the Arab-Palestinians. Um, whether that's a possibility is, is you know, still an unknown. But uh, with billions of Arabs fighting against a few million uh, Jews, it's it's a it's a real really tough numbers game. In response to the gentleman's question or statement earlier about how um, Christians hold the Holy Land sacred, what's the condition of Nazareth and Bethlehem, and who's in control of those cities right now? Well, sadly to say, Bethlehem, which was such a Christian city, it's mostly Arab today. Very few Christians what's there. What's the condition of it? And uh, and Nazareth is um, there's Upper Nazareth and Lower Nazareth. Nazareth, the Lower Nazareth is all Arab. Upper as, uh, Nazareth is supposed to be um, where the Jews can live. Unfortunately, that's a tough battle because the Arabs just uh, push their way in and. Uh, uh, the mayor, we've gone to visit Upper Nazareth and, and met with the mayor there, who's a really, really nice guy, and, and trying so hard to hold on. Um, yeah, the, the, you mean the physical condition of, of Bethlehem? Are they, it, are they keeping it nice and clean? Well, frankly, John, I have not gone into Bethlehem since, since Jews were uh, forbidden to enter. So I can't describe the physical condition. I, I, I can't even guess. I mean, it might, be, it might be a thriving city, and it might be something that looks quite disastrous. Do you know it? Well, we have been there, but it's been, what, 2004, so it could have changed. But you go through a fence, a guarded fence, like you're going into a communist country. And when you go inside, there's... Um, graffiti all over the inside wall and it looks like a huge snake eating Israel. I mean, that, that was the metaphor that I took from that, was it was like a huge serpent gobbling up and um, it's Palestinian run. And we were told to take off crosses, don't have a Bible with you, and then you go into the place where uh, you know, Jesus was uh, laid, or supposedly laid the church, and it's divided up, kind of. It's 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 not pretty. We went last year because we take so many tours and they complain they've never got to go to Bethlehem. I said, you'll be sorry. But I took them all in just so that they could see it. But people need to understand this is not under Jewish control. This is totally under Arab control. They lost it back in the 60s. Was it 60? Uh, what year oh, did I, it? I think Later than that. Uh, huh? Later than that? I think it was later than that. Okay, but it was, I was in middle school, I think. So, anyway, so they no longer, Israel, the problem is you, when you go in, you don't have the protection that you would have in any other country, I mean, any other st st uh, part of Israel. 
So if anything happened to you there, you're it's too bad, you know. I have a question. When did they ban Jews from uh, Bethlehem? It's, it's it's more recent. It's more recent than that. Um, because 71, 71 was my first trip to Israel. And uh, we did go into Bethlehem. And uh, yeah, we did go into Bethlehem. And, and we were encouraged. I mean, it was a lot of uh, coexistence between the Arabs and Jews. And we were encouraged as tourists to buy in the Israeli shops, uh, the Arab shops, and and I did buy a chess set there and all that. So that was 71. I think I think the situation really, really uh, didn't get bad probably until uh, maybe the 80s. You know, it was gradual. It was gradual. The 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 elimination of the the Christian community. That was. It wasn't like there was an edict all Christians out. It didn't happen that way. It's just slow erosion, and um, and then the, you know, when all of these off limits places. When did we start seeing those red signs? You know, this this is really maybe maybe ninety, maybe it was as late as that. And all of this, you know, all of the the closed off areas really started. Might maybe it started with ninety three, with the Oslo Accord. It's very possible. Yeah. Any other questions or comments? So, I just oh, have so a, a comment. Um, I think historically we know that this all started when Abraham took Hagar to be his to have a child, and Ishmael was created when he was promised Isaac. And so, there's just been a feud of a brotherhood since then, and. The Ishmaelites, the Muslims, now the Islamists, they're still mad for being kicked out of the tent. And they want to get back in the tent. They don't, they feel like the stepchild of Abraham and Isaac got all the blessing. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we understand that and I acknowledge that. I am a Jewish woman. I'm also a Messianic Jewish woman. And I understand the importance of maintaining Israel as God's land. It is God's land, and the Jews are God's chosen people. They, the Ishmaelites, now called Muslims and Islamists, I think it's just been passed down from generation to generation to keep this chip on your shoulder, and maybe someday you'll get the land. But it's never going to happen. Well, you know, brothers, brothers fight. We know about Cain and Abel. We know about Jacob and Esau. Um, uh, Jacob stole the birthright from Esau, and yet they made up. They made up. Uh, The Ishmaelites...
could, uh, yes, God promised um, that uh, Ishmael would be the father of a great nation, and they are a very large nation. How great they are, I'm not sure. But uh, what, what it seems to me that they do much better off if they said, okay, guys, we're, we're brothers or cousins, whatever, and let's be friends and let's work together. But they don't do that because they have, uh, they're following this Quran, which has other dictates for them. And uh, it calls for, it calls for any non-Muslim to, to either subjugate himself to Islam um, to convert or to die. Those are the choices. So it's very hard to make friends with people like that. What I don't understand is why Jews were uh, right here. Yeah. Banned from uh, Bethlehem when our Lord and Savior was born in Bethlehem. Why were the Jews kicked out instead of the the Christians? Well, cr- yeah. Christians are not... No, it's because Muslims are the enemies of Jews and Christians and Buddhists and anyone who isn't a Muslim. So there is no place. There's no place for the Christians to be there and there's no place for the Jews to be there. You know, so even though in at the entrance to Bethlehem you come to Rachel's tomb and Rachel's tomb was a place where we used to be able to you know just stop the car and and go in and and uh, say some prayers and leave now it's a fortress today because it's uh, just a very dangerous place you you can't go there unless you have protection from the IDF that's it any other questions so thank you so much for your patience and your attention and all the rest. I think Anne has a concluding remark. Well, I just want to thank uh, Helen and Judy for coming from so far.